and welcome back to Curious Medicine. I'm Christy. I'm Brian. And today we're talking about nose jobs. Rhinoplasty. <laughs> Brian, um, do you remember what you said to me, the words that you said to me when I asked you if you wanted to do this topic for the next, um, for the next episode? I think you can tell by the curious look on my face <laughs> that I don't remember exactly what I said. You said... Hmm. Is there enough about that? I did. I did. I remember that. Yes. Yeah. And um, and I said, well, I think that there probably is. And then I was very surprised how many rabbit holes you can go down on this topic. I mean, every topic we we get down some rabbit holes, but yeah. there's there are quite a few on this one. So I'm very excited to be talking about rhinoplasty with you today. I agree. And the first thing that comes to mind when I think of rhinoplasty, of course, after Michael Jackson. Or this fact, the fact that we live in Los Angeles <laughs> and in uh, the, I don't know if we consider this, well, I think it would be considered the plastic surgery kind of capital. I don't know if that's accurate, but I worked in Beverly Hills at a, uh, urgent care that was next to a plastic surgeon and we got mm-hmm. a lot of the pre-op clearance for those people and I would see like on their forms, like what they were having done and uh-huh. it was, you know, it was all cosmetics. It yeah. wasn't really, he wasn't doing anything for, you know, trauma or anything like that. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, and some of the people I'm like, really? You're going to find really good enough how you are. Yeah. God made you yeah. this you way. You sure you don't like your nose the way it is? Well, it's funny because I feel like I feel like this podcast is maybe some kind of like <laughs> um, therapy for me or something. I don't know, like getting all my medical ailments and, and whatever out of the way. Because I've commented many times on different different things about my own personal medical history and background. But it's interesting because... Um, you know, my, my heritage is French. And so as a young adult, I can, as a, as a child and as a young adult, I can remember, I can remember being teased about the size of my nose. (laughs) Some, some have told me that I have the quote unquote French nose, (laughs) whatever that means. Um, And so I remember just feeling insecure about my nose and I used to think, oh, when I grow up and and I'm old enough, I'm going to have a nose job and, you know, fix this, this nose and blah, blah, blah. And like all good young adult females, I watched the Oprah Winfrey show. And so I was watching this episode and she had on there, it was like plastic surgery gone wrong sort of stories. And there were these, there was at least one person in particular who no longer had a nose because he had had rhinoplasty for some, you know, for appearance reasons. He didn't like the way his nose looked. He had rhinoplasty and then he got like an infection after his surgery. And then, you know, that led to, um, they had to remove more tissue. And anyway, he had had, I don't even know how many surgeries, but it was a bunch and he still didn't have a nose. And I, I just remember thinking, I think I'll just live with the nose that I have because... Well, for the record, um, I'm sitting across from you right now, and <laughs> there's nothing wrong with your nose. You were the, you're one of those people that would have come in for your pre-op clearance where I would have looked at you like, really? Really? Yeah. Oh, well, thanks. Maybe I grew into my nose, but <laughs> <laughs> that's what my mom tells me. Well, I think you grew into that nose, but... And I, I guess my, you know, my French uh, lineage does not come from her side, so I guess she can say that, because her nose is much smaller than mine. But um, anyway, yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Well, working in Hollywood as a trainer, as a fitness trainer and a Pilates instructor in my previous life, I saw quite a few very vain people that were spending buku amount of money on personal training, on cosmetic surgery. Mm-hmm. 
And there were a few that you would get where you look at them and like, this is not making you look more attractive yeah. at all. You know? Oh, I know. I can think yeah. of several and you celebrities tell, like, it that wasn't I just done go, well. yeah, and it was I just, just go, like, you were so pretty before you yeah. had anything done. Why? Just Why? Leave them all. Age gracefully. Age gracefully. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, who knows how beautiful they would be like, you know that classic beauty but well anyway. we'll get into re- reasons why people actually had uh had decided to have uh, uh rhinoplasty or what we commonly refer to as a nose job interestingly enough my wife has a very perfect nose mm-hmm. and she always used to say that she would get mad because people assume that she had a nose job <laughs> and she's like no i was born this way so i guess Thank it goes both much. ways where it's like hey <laughs> yeah. no maybe she'd get it they get it widened and like misshapen so that she doesn't have to go through such trauma <laughs> It's so she's it's so look, interesting so how, she ever hears that. how people's well you said she doesn't really like to listen to this <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you're safe. I won't out you she's on the not story one of our about five her listeners. perfect nose. Um okay so Brian talk to us. What what is rhinoplasty or what is a nose job? Well, like you said, I was going to say it's it's sometimes simply referred to as a nose job, but the technical term for it is rhinoplasty, and it is derived from the Greek rhinos, meaning nose, and plasine, meaning shape, which I thought was really interesting because the word plasty, uh, there's a lot of different plasties you can get. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of the South Park episode where they changed everybody. The guy said, oh, you want a dolphinoplasty? We changed him into a dolphin. <laughs> you have to see the episode. But uh, at any rate, it's uh, basically the definition of a rhinoplasty is a surgical procedure which changes the shape of the nose. Um, And it can be done for quite a few different reasons. But most of us, when we think of rhinoplasty, we think of a cosmetic nose job. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned Michael Jackson in the beginning. I think that's the one person that everyone was like, ooh. Oh, yeah. Maybe he should have been been on that episode of (laughs) Surgery's Gone Wrong. Yeah. But uh, today, rhinoplasty is done to change uh, bone, cartilage, skin, or all three. And it can be used to treat things like nose size in relation to facial balance, which is an interesting kind of, you know, uh, facial symmetry. Mm -hmm. If your nose is is too out of symmetry with your face, then Mm -hmm. I think people consider themselves not as attractive and they'll seek out um, uh, rhinoplasty for for that reason. I think that's one of the number one. And then nose width at the shape of the bridge. So if you think of the bridge of your nose, some people who have really wide noses. Mm-hmm. Uh, nose profile with visible bumps, depressions on the bridge. Nasal tip, which is enlarged, bulbous, drooping, etc. Nostrils, which are wider or upturned. Nasal asymmetry or correction of a deviated septum. And correction of a de- deviated septum goes, I think, outside of the... Um, cosmetic. And so there are other mm-hmm. reasons. Let me just put this out there. There are other reasons why people would have rhinoplasty, uh, oh, trauma, yeah. you know, uh, <laughs> a lot of other reasons. Yeah. But when we think of the different cosmetic reasons, those were yeah. kind of the, the main ones. Yeah. So, yeah, I even tried to see if I may, I think I had a brain MRI or something because of my migraines that I've talked about. And on that, I was asking like the radio, a radiologist that I knew, I was like, Oh, is my septum deviated? <laughs> because then I could get like free rhinoplasty. <laughs> this is back before I decided and just to live with my nose the way it is. But sadly, my no- my my septum was not deviated. <laughs> You've gone through a lot of trauma I, with this. I you? know, yeah, yeah. I know it was a it was a big thing. And then, you know, it's funny because it's almost like a switch flipped after that Oprah episode. I was like, okay, I'm good. I'm good. I my nose is fine. Cause I just thought, oh, you know, it, it my nose could be worse. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't want a worse nose. Um 
It's interesting because rhinoplasty is sort of the historic centerpiece of plastic surgery. And it's one of the most delicate procedures in plastic surgery or any surgical procedure. So it's interesting because, you know, the history of rhinoplasty goes way, way back. You may not think that the way women dressed in the early 19th century would have anything to do with rhinoplasty, but here's how they're connected. So I was reading this book called Dr. Mooder's Marvels by Christine O'Keefe Aptowitz, and she tells a story about how in the 19th century, um, women were forced to dress very modestly. Their clothing was very restrictive and, and made of many layers which were bound tightly against their body, and this resulted in severely limited movement. And all of their daily chores were performed in these ridiculous dresses. Of these daily chores, cooking, of course, posed the greatest danger because they cooked on open flames. Sometimes they had to, like, push or pull these heavy pots in and out of the fire. So if a stray ember catching the hem of a dress or the open flame caught the cuff from, like, a long sleeve, all it would take to light the poor one on fire with absolutely no hope of getting free from these clothes without first being severely burnt. So in all of this chaos, women's faces would often be burnt. Let's say that you lived in, you know, ancient historical times. And what do you think one of the reasons would be for a person to seek out someone to give them a nose job? If they were a famous pop singer who was, (laughs) I don't know. No, I said ancient times. (laughs) Okay, well, this is going to be a fascinating rabbit hole that we're going to go down because there are all kinds of reasons that um, people in the ancient times would have been in need of a nose job. First of all, it was just socially unacceptable to walk around without a nose. So so some of the simpler, I didn't bring this upon myself kind of reasons for needing a nose job would be congenital defects, which just means that you were born with some kind of malformation or anomaly. So sometimes a cleft lip or palate, um, you know, that all involves your breathing and, and nose and the way that it looks. Um, but did you know that a common practice in prehistoric times for babies born with anomalies to the face, they would be left to die or be killed? I thought that was only in Game of Thrones, but I guess, yeah. <sighs> Sadly. That's very sad. That's, that's what I read. And then you get into other things like growths and tumors. So those are, again, things that you really... Um, and so they would amputate the nose for growth or tumor? Or? Yeah, or maybe they would amputate the growth or the tumor itself and have to take a big portion of the That's nose That's what I was going to say. Like, yeah. They didn't think to maybe try to take the tumor out first and then cut the nose off? Or was it just like, I mean, got to go? Who knows? <laughs> I just have this as a bullet point of growths and tumors. Got it. Okay. All right. <laughs> but then I'm going to talk a little bit about disease processes. So it was often some kind of infectious disease process that would lead to your nose being removed. So smallpox and leprosy, those were those were two reasons that you might have your nose, you know, amputated. But then the big one, syphilis. Syphilis, as you know, peaked in the 17th century, and it caused um, a condition called saddle nose or basically collapse of the, the nasal bridge. So you can Google that. For listeners who don't know what we're talking about, Google it. It's, it's pretty interesting. But this is an interesting little anecdote that I read about syphilis. There's some account regarding these troops of Wallenstein in the siege of Nunberg in 1632. They brought along... 
thousand prostitutes. (laughs) There were twice as many prostitutes as there were male troops. I mean, two for two prostitutes for each man. Well, and we wonder how syphilis got. I served in the army, and I I know when we went through, (laughs) you know, uh, equipment checks of what you needed. I wasn't on the list. Was yeah, not, prostitute not, was know, not on the list. Not, not even close. Hmm. Well, yeah. I guess the American army is really <laughs> lacking. Food, water. Right. So then we get into some other reasons are accidental injury or trauma. So burns, like I described, the American frontier women who were, you know, stuck at home cooking and cleaning. <laughs> and the reason that it was so sad for them is because back then women really depended on men for everything. And so if you like, let's say that you burned your face and you didn't have a nose anymore and you hadn't gotten married, well, then your prospects of getting married are down the toilet. And if you had gotten married, you know, sometimes the husband would leave because the woman was now so unsightly. It was really sad. I know it's so sad. She's really nice. Yeah, <laughs> right. So, well, wait. she doesn't have a nose, but she's her personality is so great. <laughs> She's super sweet. Right. So let me ask you this. So you you've brought up before, like the women's clothing was designed specific. So was it just that that your there was no stove, obviously, like in that sense back then. Uh, so you're cooking over open flames. You're probably out chopping wood. You're probably doing a lot of things that could yeah. potentially cause you trauma in some form or another. Mm-hmm. And so I mean, that's kind of the reason why they were at such high risk. I'm assuming, right? Yeah, because it said that because of all these layers of clothes that they had, they were so flammable, mm. you know, and because they're op- they're working around open flames and, and their mobility was limited. Right. So, you know, they have all these, I mean, just imagine trying to like <laughs> cook and clean and you're wearing all of these, you know, yes, I mean, and a, what do they call it? A corset and yeah, all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. just so ridiculous. Well, I mean, I work in scrubs every day. <laughs> Yeah, no I don't even want to, you know me, I don't even want to wear a white coat. I mean, I get really, that's a, kind of a little bit of a sore spot with me because some would say you should wear a white coat and dress clothes. And I'm like, mm, I think I'll be wearing scrubs and tennis shoes. A bustle <laughs> and a corset. No white coat for me. Thank you. Okay. So another way that nasal amputation would happen is duels, sword duels. I mean, just imagine you and I are in a duel with swords <laughs> and I chop off your nose in a sword duel. You'd, I'd have to be pretty precise to well, whack off your nose with my sword. Let me just jump in here because I, I like to throw in my anecdotes because yeah. I'm, I'm a renaissance man. <laughs> I actually studied fencing. For uh-huh. quite some time. Uh-huh. And depending on the part of the world where the fencing was being done, uh-huh. European fencing, uh, a lot of it, and this is a generalization, but uh, depending on the weapon that was being used mm-hmm. over time, there were certain duels, uh, certain techniques that were taught because the, the object in the gentleman's duel was to draw first blood if you weren't going to actually kill the person. Okay. And so the swords developed over time to be very 
pointed, sharp, like needle, very long. You can think of it like a very long needle. Mm-hmm. And so the object was to stab. They were stabbing and piercing weapons. So the target, if you're aiming for the person's face, if you are, if your goal is to actually kill the person, uh-huh. then you would be more likely to probably stab them in the nose. It would be very difficult for you to actually cut the person's nose off in that sense. So uh-huh. you're talking about someone who is more than likely pierced right through the na- nasal cap, right through the nose into, and you would more likely, I would assume, that you would kill them if you did, if you had. Uh, stabbed them in that fashion. But you never know. I mean, depending on how the person was angled and how mm-hmm. the attack was done. Uh, but the target, like in, in traditional fencing now with mm-hmm. certain weapons, the face is a target. And so that you're going directly at the person's face. So I could see how you could probably have nasal injuries and other kinds of facial injuries yeah. and need some plastic surgery after that. But Fascinating. Well, chicks dig scars. So, you know. My article said that it got sliced right off. <laughs> okay, now, wait a minute. Now, now there are other parts of the country where they did use yeah. slashing weapons. Yeah. But I think you're right. You'd have to be pretty damn good yeah, to be I mean, like, you know, without chopping off their whole face. Right, right, and right. And to just chop off the nose. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'd have to be pretty, you'd have to be pretty darn good. So generally, they're, they're stabbing weapons and swords. If you're thinking of swords, they're mm-hmm. going to be stabbing and piercing type swords. That's mm-hmm. the function of the sword where it has a pretty mm-hmm. much a dull edge, but a very sharp point. Or you have uh, slicing, fun- <laughs> slicing, or you have a combination of both. Yeah, and so yeah. functionally, yeah. that's how the techniques yeah. are going to be dictated by I the function see. of the. Of the Fighting with sidearms. That was another way mm-hmm. people would during a like a duel. So a sidearm would be like pistol, I guess. Uh, depending again on the time. Well, we're talking about the invention of firearms. So in Europe, for instance, and I only know about European. I'm a, I like weapons and stuff like uh-huh. most dudes. So I've, I've actually <laughs> researched this stuff at some point, but. Uh, the duel, like the 10 paces, so they say, uh-huh. was not necessarily done that way. Um, mm-hmm. There's different debate on, on how that was done. But basically, there was a set distance right. where you would get off two shots or one shot, and then mm-hmm. uh, you'd have a second. And then at that point, the two, I believe it was you could shoot. And if the two of you missed each other, mm-hmm. then it would be like, <laughs> we're good. Dude. Right. Yeah. Even Steven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's all good, right. honor restored. <laughs> but if you hit the person, yeah. they I'm, I, I think you could keep going until you felt your honor was satisfied. And oh, so it, I think the, the goal was not necessarily to kill the person per se. Yeah. It was more to, again, draw first blood or... Um, so, and then there's other reasons when people got out there, they probably were like, I really don't want to do this. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Let's just pretend to aim at each other and we'll just both call it good. But you have, uh, if you're shooting someone with, uh, uh, musket balls or, or any of the projectiles that they used back then, they would cause horrific injuries. Yeah. You know, they weren't very powerful weapons in the sense that you're shooting from a set distance to be able to, to hit the target. But they weren't very accurate, and they, you know, you're yeah. shooting a very large, uh, very heavy lead projectile at someone's face. You're going to do some damage. You yeah. probably won't kill them, but you're going to yeah. do some serious you're damage. Maim so, them. Yeah, yeah. So I saw one. I read one article, and they had a picture of a man. This is like a, a hand drawn picture. This is before like photographs were invented. I don't. I don't remember exactly how far back in history this went, but it was a. A drawing of a guy who was in a duel and he got his face, he lost vision in one eye and he had a perfectly round notch, like if it was a profile of him, he had a perfectly round notch out of the top part of the bridge of his nose. And they said, 
they were going to restore that. But then when they realized that he was blind in one eye, they decided to leave that notch there because that would help him have peripheral vision. It was interesting because then I want to say that it went on to say that, you know, this became sort of like, oh, we could do this for people that are blind in one eye. Anyway, that was interesting. So the bullet probably went through his eye and then out of his nose. or Yeah, like maybe it went into one eye and Mm. and affected his nose too. And then Mm. um, they were going to fix the nose. And then they were like, oh, wait a second. (laughs) So I think uh, you probably ran into a lot of information about uh, one way to get yourself maimed is to engage in some sort of combat and conflict. Yeah. So I'm sure that comes up Yeah, quite fighting a bit. in battle so, yeah. is going to be my next yeah. little bullet point, uh, pun intended. It's called a segue. <laughs> Did you get my bullet point? <laughs> I, uh, oh, uh, you, you almost missed it, Brian. I, I had it. to point it out. It's not as effective if mm. I have to point it out. Anywho. Um, okay, here's one for you. Revenge. Mm-hmm. Yes. Revenge of a jealous lover. So take this scenario. Uh, I find out that some hussy is messing around with my man. And I go to her and I cut off her nose to shame her because she is messing with my husband. So, okay, time out. So you're just going to show up and be like, (laughs) hey, I'm sorry, but we both lived in the South. I haven't heard the word hussy in a long time, but hey, you hussy, I found out the truth. Turn to the side so I can get a clean shot at your nose and cut it off. I'm assuming there's going to be a struggle here and you're going to get nicked up a little bit trying to do this. You made it sound pretty clean cut. Like it's, yes. I'm here to cut off your nose because you slept with my man. Well, this is funny. Um, this has nothing to do with noses, but I will say that one time um, I suspected that someone I knew was trying to uh, maybe either already having relations with my boyfriend or wanted to. And so I told her that he had herpes. <laughs> Because I thought, well, if <laughs> if she hasn't slept with him, she might now think twice. And if she has slept with him, now she'll be going, oh, no, <laughs> the friend for life. <laughs> you might have gotten his nose cut off by her. That's, wow. Yeah, I did that. Anywho. Um, I don't know whether now I'd be scared of you or I felt like that was a harmless. Well, you know, I was in my 20s and, and maybe a little immature. Uh, but yeah, I was just really no, like that's gangsters right there. Yeah. That's what we call that. <laughs> Maybe I'll edit that story out. <laughs> no, that one needs to stay. Okay. Also, revenge. Another revenge story. Okay. Revenge against a woman if a man tried to sexually assault her, but he was unsuccessful. Wait. Okay. So the woman is the one who gets. So. Yes. So like some guy wants to sexually assault some woman and because he didn't finish the task, he gets mad and cuts off her nose because he's already a you know what. I see. 
Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking it didn't go, it didn't elaborate on like why he was unsuccessful. Was he unsuccessful because he, he got caught perform. in the act or, but yeah, I'm thinking because his perform. manhood was uh. let him down and then he was mad at her. That to me, that's the only thing that could make a man mad enough that he would want to cut off a woman's nose so then I'm assuming the because sexual. he was embarrassed. Right. But I'm assuming the he sexual. was trying to save face. <laughs> <laughs> I did not plan that. <laughs> that was just, you I know, I love look on your face I, when you were like, Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm going for I it. I love me a pun. That, by was, the way. Yeah. that was legit. Yeah. Um, so I'm assuming it wasn't a crime then to commit this. Cause you're, I mean, talk about evidence. No, it was a crime. It was still criminal. But so but, if you're a woman, you go. He cut my freaking nose off. And you're like I didn't do it. I don't know what yeah, you're talking like, about. Yeah, like why do you think he cut my nose yeah, off? Yeah, I mean, is that the defense? <laughs> because he tried to rape me and then he couldn't because he couldn't. You know, you know what? So I mean, is it like he can? I don't know. It didn't. There, it didn't I mean, elaborate. Huh. I just all it said was revenge against a woman if a man tried to sexually assault her, but he was unsuccessful. That's all I know. It didn't really elaborate any further. And so anything else that I'm adding to this is just me conjecture. making, per- yeah, right. it's just conjecture. Yeah. It. Okay. But it's fascinating. Don't you think? I think it is. fascinating. Okay. How about this? How about if your nose got bitten off during a fight between you and another person? Yeah. Now, okay, let me just say, (laughs) in my research, (laughs) there were numerous ancient stories of this happening where one person is mad at another and they they are so enraged that they bite off their nose. First of all, you have to be pretty intimate with that person to get up close enough to bite their nose off. But anyway, so, but not only in ancient times, I found a story that was like modern day where the guy, somebody bit off his nose and, and then, and this is modern and then they spit it out <laughs> and they took the guy to modern day. They took the guy to the hospital and um, the ER physician or whatever is like, Hey, can you do, you, you know, can somebody, whoever brought him to the hospital, let's say, can you, Hey, can you go back to the scene of the crime and get, get the, get the nose? Cause you know, they can maybe reattach it or whatever. So this guy's whoever brought him, I guess, you know, somebody, one of his friends or whoever went back and, and got it and they, they repaired his nose. But in the ancient story, it says, this is what happened on at least two accounts. The nose was the, the portion that was cut off was retrieved it was washed in one case it was washed in hot wine and another case in in urine it was cleaned in urine reimplanted in place not with suture but with glue and that it remained permanently attached miracle of all miracles it remained permanently attached the one that was cleaned with urine and the one that was cleaned with hot wine <laughs> not even sutured in place just attached with glue i i now it said remained permanently inta- attached. Maybe the guy died two days later. I don't know because, I mean, I find that very hard to believe. I wonder Knowing what I know about medicine. But I wonder if the guy who had it attached with urine was always pissy. <laughs> Sorry, I had to try. That wasn't as good as yours, but I had to give no, it a No, but you get an A for effort. All right, thanks. Okay, how about this? Here's another one. Strange form of self-mutilation. Huh. Okay, get this. In ancient times... Women would amputate their own noses because, especially in religious communities, 
This was to make themselves look disgusting and to prevent sexual assault from outside invaders. What the heck? I mean, so your choice is be sexually assaulted or cut off your own nose. I'm going to stay away from that one as a man. No, I know. It's so, I I mean, say as a human being, I don't know if I could mutilate myself. Yeah, exactly. That's the choice that I have. Right. I don't know if that makes me an insensitive as a man to not, because I, you know, I could never imagine, but it's hard for me to take out my own splinter. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there's something, you know, I can do just about anything to anybody during like invasive procedures. Like that doesn't, I mean, I'm empathetic. Don't get me wrong. And I try to be as gentle as I can be, but but like I have a weird thing about like if I like when my son when he was little and he would get hurt or if, you know like the times that I've been hurt or whatever it's really hard for me to like do anything to myself. But what's interesting is that like I again I'm I'm not trying to belittle anything here, but I'm assuming that you're going to have to make the decision to live with either one of those two things, right? You know, obviously, sexual assault is extremely traumatic, and you'll be living with that for right. the rest of your life. Right. Or you would be living with the fact that you mutilate, mutilated yourself. But right. I don't know, and in such a horrific way, because we're going to talk about later how the psychosocial ramifications of yeah. having your nose amputated and and what that did to people. Mm-hmm. I mean, deep, deep scars. Well, I wonder what the uh, because the way that these things were looked at in modern times, you put a modern lens on things that it, it's, you know, not as accurate. I wonder way back then how sexual assault from a foreign invading army how that I'm assuming it was I mean clearly they're cutting yeah, their nose you probably, off it was viewed as a negative thing but yeah would you rather be stigmatized for uh, appearing horrific looking you know people can't look at you in the face look at you in the eye because they don't want to see your face because it horrifies them or people won't look at you because of the shame that you right. have upon yourself from having that sexual You've attack been tainted or, yeah uh, yeah yeah, yeah it's so, so sad it's yeah, really that's, really that's very sad yeah. and so i don't mean to make light of that no not is, at all but i think but it, it is, is interesting to see like yeah. to make that decision yeah. it yeah. had to have been the 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 la the alternative of being viewed in society as someone who's been that tainted yeah it was so devastating that that's that you're going to make that decision yeah. i can't even imagine to me know? it's worse than sophie's choice I mean, they you should know, make, they should make a movie so about times, this. But I've never oh, seen Sophie's Choice, where she has to decide which of her children she's going to give up. I think um, she was like, I haven't seen it either, but I just remember my mom talking about it when I was little, wait, and you seen and I remember it <laughs> no, no, but I just know that it's like the worst choice. <laughs> they could have instead of Sophie's Choice, this could be, you know, this could be its own movie right yeah, here. I could see that Hollywood. See Anywho. Okay, moving on. How about mutilation, specifically uh, amputation of the nasal pyramid, as a form of judicial punishment or humiliation because the nose is the most prominent part of the face. They did this. And just as an aside, they also amputated lips, tongues, hands, ears, genitals. So it wasn't just the nose if you were misbehaving. They might choose to remove other parts of you, uh, but so we're going to talk about the nose in particular. So, Brian, this this mutilation as a part of like punishment or humiliation, like judicial punishment and humiliation, this was performed in certain ancient cultures. It was performed in various times throughout ancient history in various places as well. So, rarely it was performed in places like Rome, Greece, Egypt. And especially in Egypt, it must have been really rare 
because there are very few mummies that that don't have noses. So it was it although it was performed there, it was really really rare. Okay, places where this was performed commonly was in India, some Asian cultures, and also some Arab cultures. For let's let's take adulterers, okay? In Arab cultures and other male-oriented societies, either the woman or the man committing adultery could have this punishment carried out. So either either one, the man or the woman. However, <laughs> This might not come as a surprise to you, Brian. Most often, it was performed only on the woman. I'm shocked. So, I know, shocking. The husband whose wife had been unfaithful would sometimes perform the nose amputation. Mm -hmm. How do you like that? The man who was committing the adultery with this woman would usually pay a fine or maybe receive 100 strokes with a cane, but generally his nose would not be amputated. How do you like that? Hmm, I don't like it at all. Oh, you're, you could get your nose cut off in some of these cultures if you took advantage of your high position. So if you were in some kind of position of authority or high position and you, you know, took advantage of that, then you could get your nose cut right off. They and I am just thinking, mm-hmm, I'm yeah. just, yeah, everybody listening to this just knows exactly how that could be applied. Who would go around with no nose? Yes. Current I day. Think they need to. We'll stay away from politics, but I think mm-hmm. that. Oh, that well, one we're not going to really stay away from politics because that's the next, that's the next bullet point. Huh, politics. Okay. Some of the, again, some of these commonly, you know, ancient societies that perform this politics performed on political opponents. Okay. How about this? In Europe, those who conspired against persons in the court. Okay. uh, Persons favoring prostitution. mm -hmm, How about those 15,000 prostitutes? All of those men would have had their noses cut off. Highway robbers. Mm-hmm. And as late as the 17th century England, punishment for libel against the king. Huh. Yeah. Okay, how about this one? Unfaithfulness just in general other than adultery. Wait, isn't unfaithfulness adultery? I'm, well, I'm trying adultery? to think if like if you like if you were a servant of the court or whatever. Oh, okay. Let's say okay, I'm I trying to think in terms of like Faithful work. And, okay. Gotcha. Work related or mm-hmm. fam- somehow family. You betrayed someone. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, I just said Betrayal. unfaithfulness and right. yes. Okay thieves. Okay, here's a good one. Prisoners of war. So this was done on a large scale, especially in cases where prisoners had acted callously prior to being captured. (laughs) There's an article called Amputation of the Nose Throughout History. Mm -hmm, I read it. (laughs) This is what I do in my free time, people. Okay, this is a quote from that article. This is, in fact, what happened in the city of Kiripu in Nepal, referred to as the, quote, city of chopped off noses, unquote. The inhabitants were indeed punished in this way by the king of Gorkha, Prizi Narayan. I guess that's his name. I'm not as good with my uh, pronunciation, (laughs) but okay. Then it says, likewise, in slightly more modern times in 1876, during the war between Russia and Turkey, many of the Sultan's soldiers had their noses amputated for revenge by the Bulgarian invaders. Quite soon thereafter, the enemy having been driven back and overcome, the Turkish Sultan made a gift to each of those mutilated, rewarding them with a nasal prosthesis and pure silver, which they displayed with pride in the streets of Istanbul. 
like a decoration of great value. Again, as a veteran, I don't know if I would have signed up if they <laughs> said, right. listen, check this out. Here's what might right. happen to you if you right. get caught. There are a lot of horrible things that they talked about could potentially happen to you and yeah. you train for those scenarios. But one of those that you did not train for was the potentially yeah. having your nose Is this cut when off. you would take the, the arsenic tablet <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> before you're captured? They didn't issue any arsenic tablets. Okay. Also, in these cultures, even minor misdeeds of slaves and lower-class individuals might have their noses amputated. So just minor, minor things. I'm trying to think of like what would equate to modern day, like maybe, maybe a speeding ticket. I don't know. Hmm. Maybe littering. Well, I'm assuming if you were some sort of slave or something and you, I don't know, like you, you spilled something on someone or yeah. you were caught stealing a piece of bread or yeah. like, you know, you were hungry and you grabbed yeah. something. You know what I mean? I'm you, were, that, you weren't working when you were supposed right, to be or depending something. Depending on how vicious and evil they were, then they would, you know, hey, you're getting your nose cut off. Okay. This is how... One more little anecdote of how having your nose amputated was such a a stigma. (laughs) During the fall of the Western Roman Empire, the invaders even cut off the noses of the Roman marble statues. (laughs) It was like a signal to them going, yeah, take this. How about that? Mm -hmm. How do you like this? Yeah, put that in your pipe. Yeah, that's right. We're cutting off your noses. (laughs) That's right. So interestingly enough, you'd mentioned about the women cutting their noses off um, to avoid sexual assault during some sort of invasion. Yeah. You ever heard the phrase, cut your nose off to spite your face? Yeah. The origins of that, so they're different stories, but mm-hmm. one, of the, one of the theories is that it originated in the 12th century and might be associated with women, <gasps> pious women, protecting their oh. virginity by disfiguring themselves. Wow. So, yeah. And, yeah, so that... That makes perfect sense because, yeah, you're trading one that you're you, trading you one problem before, for another. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, that's interesting. No, I'm glad you brought it up now. Okay, so Brian, obviously there were some consequences to you know having your nose cut off your face, whether you did it yourself or whether you were born with some tragic disfigurement that, you know, led to this or you were, you were caught cheating. Yeah. You were, you were just, you know, wearing the scarlet letter or whatever it was. Um, Obviously there were severe disfigurements physically. It provoked a sense of horror in some people and so much so that one theologian determined that it would be just cause for marital annulment. Hmm. How about that? Hmm. A theologian came up with that. He was, it was probably, (laughs) it was was probably a man. I mean, I'm just saying it was probably a man. I wonder if these men who got their noses cut off in battle and duels and, you know, like if my husband came home one day, like he said, hey, you know, I got into this argument with somebody at work and now we're going to go have a duel and I'll be back by three o'clock. And then he shows up with no nose. I'd be like, really? You're stuck. Did did you, couldn't you have just like, couldn't you have just like let that one go, let it roll off your back? I mean, as a wife married to this man who you know, had to go have this duel but, um, but, and got but, his but. nose cut off. So now do I have to stay married to him or can I annul you my marriage? You probably would because he would be probably <laughs> seen as someone who defended his honor. 
Oh. And it would probably be some sort of prestigious thing that he, he was willing to stand up and defend his honor. Yeah. Where if you got your nose cut off, mm. it was probably associated with some sort of adultery or you maybe suspected <laughs> adultery or something like or, that. Or if I cut off my nose before we got married because I didn't want to get raped. Okay, so back to psychosocial consequences. Psychologically, this provoked a lot of self-imposed isolation. So people without a nose probably were like little hermits. It also created mental illness situations because this was so deeply affected their psyches that it permanently changed people's personalities. So it's really, really very devastating effects psychologically and socially because you were just a total outcast. You know, I can kind of relate to that. I had, I've had told you this before, but I had a terrible skin infection years mm-hmm. ago. And um, I am beautiful and gorgeous. Like, <laughs> probably a 10.5. <laughs> but back then, my skin, like, no one really even knew what it was yeah. that caused the problem. But I just broke out with this horrible rash all over my face and particularly yeah. on my nose. And um, I didn't want to be around anyone. I didn't want to yeah. go anywhere. I didn't want to. It was terrible. I was wearing makeup. And I didn't know I'm African-American. And I didn't know how to buy makeup. <laughs> and so my wife goes, you just bought makeup for white people. This doesn't work. <laughs> Let me go with you and help you. So, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Funny because your wife is Caucasian. <laughs> yes, so, yeah. yeah. May, well, maybe she could wear the makeup that yeah, you she's bought like, for I'll yourself. Take that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, don't get rid of it. I'll just go no, with you. No, she actually you said she one. wouldn't because I bought it at the grocery store. She's <laughs> like, I'm not wearing this. <laughs> yeah, that's, what are you thinking? Yeah. <laughs> Hello. I kind of know how you feel about being an, out, like, feeling like an outcast. The closest I've come to that is when I, <laughs> at the, the week that all of this pandemic stuff started, I guess where I was. Where? On a cruise. Oh, yeah. To the Bahamas. Right. So when I came back, first of all everybody was like oh my god you went to the bahamas like i can't believe they didn't make you stay on the cruise ship and blah 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 first of all to my knowledge nobody on my cruise ship got but you if i remember correctly you left like before the world went into yes it's the week that i was gone that everything went crazy Mm -hmm. because i remember we had a family meet i was i went with some of my family And we had been planning to go on a family vacation like this for years. And it finally worked out this year that we could do it. So I flew to Texas to meet them and then go with them on this vacation. And I, I flew down there like two days in advance. The day before we had a family meeting and we were like, should we go? Like, should we risk it? Should we go? Because things hadn't deteriorated so much or there was not as much known at that moment where like they weren't refunding people's tickets. So if you didn't go, you just forfeited it, period. There was no, oh, well, you can reschedule for a year from now. No, nothing. You just lost your money. And there were quite a few of us going and it was expensive. So we were like debating, you know, do we risk, like, do we risk going? And, you know, and then like, okay, if we don't go on a cruise, because so much was in the news about cruises, you know, people were being detained on these cruise ships. And we, we had little kids with us. And we were like, that is the last thing on earth that we want. Like, we'd rather get the virus <laughs> than be stuck on a cruise ship <laughs> indefinitely Quarantine with little children. kids. Yes. Yeah, so with, you can't even come out of your room, your cabin. No. Can you imagine? Anyway, so we were like, yeah, no, no, no. We do not want that to happen. But anyway, you know, we, we, we really gave it a lot of thought. And then we decided that we would just go. And so when I came back, 
first of all, people were that knew me were like, I cannot believe you went on a and I'm like, okay, in all fairness, it wasn't it wasn't this bad when I left. Additionally, I happened to get a cold (laughs) when I came back. And I and I had not run fever. And I knew it was the it was the it was just the normal, typical onset of symptoms for a classic cold that I get like, you know, it happens the same way. And so anyway, I I felt 100% certain that I did not have the virus. But I'm telling you what nobody wanted to be around. I mean, I, I have never felt so ostracized at work around health professionals. That was the other thing is like, it was really disconcerting to see how um, uh, irrational some people I felt in the medical profession were acting around me. They were acting completely irrational. And it was all fear based. And I felt bad that I provoked that in people. So of course, you know, and I immediately went home. I contacted my doctor and I was like, hey, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm like the person with leprosy. Like nobody wants to be around me. I feel confident that I don't have it. But of course, the symptoms are overlapping. So I, I think I should be tested and I just traveled and blah, blah, blah. So I was tested and it was negative. But I did quarantine the entire time that I had symptoms just because. Well, I sneezed in the right <laughs> aisle. And I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me. It was like me. a bomb going but we off. we went bike riding. And like right after, we're like, oh, let's go to the store. And so I had a mask on, everything. And I felt it coming. And I was like, Where there's can nowhere I to go. Nowhere to go. And so I just kind of found a corner and was like, and when I sneeze, it's, it's an event. And I just kind of like. <laughs> <laughs> you would have thought that I just sprayed the virus in the air. Everyone cleared away from me. So, yeah, it was something you else. You the whole store to yourself. Yeah, it was, yeah, pretty much that whole meat aisle. That lady that was looking at that carne asada was like, I'm good. So, oh anyway. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, goodness. Okay. There were a couple of things besides reconstructive surgery, which you're going to talk to us about, there were a couple of other ways that people would try to overcome the fact that they did not have a nose. In particular, they might wear a mask or more often just a prosthesis. This prosthetic device could be fixed or removable. They were often made of things like leather or wood, um, even some that were made of ivory in certain places. (laughs) metal, particularly alloys of gold and silver or alloys of gold and copper. But (laughs) this is one that I loved. Paper mache. Brian, do you even know what paper mache is? I did my share of paper mache. (laughs) Thank you very much. I mean, don't you think it's weird that you would have like your your fake nose made of paper mache? I think it would be a little... What's the word I'm looking for? Not very sturdy. Right. Or, you know, the first time, like, it gets rained on or anything like that, it would just be or just roll ruined. over in the bed. Yeah. <laughs> Those were some of the things that these things were made of. They were kept in place by mostly, like, maybe cords and ties, which was described by Ambrose Paré, the, bar- the famous barber surgeon that we've talked about on several different episodes. And also... 
as part of like a pair of eyeglasses. So then, you know, like the oh, funny like the things that we die? see. <laughs> yeah. No way. <laughs> as we wear as a joke now. But yeah, that's how they were made. Huh. And then also from paste or glue, which was like made from natural ingredients such as plant sap. And Brian, have you ever had tree sap on your fingers? I have. That stuff is so sticky. Yeah, I mean. Keep your nose on them. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, at first I was like paste or glue. And then when it said like plant sap, I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember running around in the woods and getting like pine tree sap on my fingers and it just being so disgusting and then everything sticks to your finger on top of that sap it's so christy you've broken down the reasons why and how and all of the other ways basically from what i'm got from a lot of what you said is (laughs) don't cheat on anyone (laughs) right don't steal <laughs> and yeah, don't don't be a bad politician yeah, it, or talk about the king. Yeah, you you know it's cut off. Yeah. So where does all this come from? So let's talk a little bit of history. So actually, India is considered to be the origin of a lot of the techniques that are still around today, mm-hmm. um, and of course have been refined and modernized. Mm-hmm. But the basis of them come from uh, or trace back to India. Mm -hmm. And so the earliest accounts of of Indian plastic surgery come from about 1500 BC, and they're mentioned in Hindu poetic myths where they talk about, uh, like you mentioned, indiscretions of the flesh, (laughs) which caused a person to have their nose amputated in the poem and then repaired. Um, And that's one of the earliest mentions. But if we go back even further, there are, you mentioned Egypt, and you mentioned how uh, this wasn't necessarily something that was widely performed based on mummification and things like that. And, mm-hmm. and from what I, my research, uh, that's correct. But there is mention of it in what they call the Ebers Papyrus, which is the oldest, most authoritative papyrus on, on medical. It's mm-hmm. named after the dude that basically the archaeologist that discovered it. Of course, mm-hmm. he named it after himself. But uh, it's the oldest, most authoritative papyrus about medicine in mm-hmm. Egypt. And uh, from what they see, they there it was rhinectomy was a very where they remove your nose was a very common per, uh, punishment for criminals like you mentioned. But there were attempts to try to reconstruct the nose. Oh, okay. They, uh, hieroglyphics actually show the re- re- reconstruction procedures mm-hmm. and how they do it. I, I didn't get it too far into exactly how that was done, but they did mention that it was something that was performed. So, uh, and again, the reasons were very similar to what you'd mentioned before, um, obviously for criminals, uh, but I thought one of the interesting, a couple of the interesting ones were, and again, it's never been, I think, 100% awesome to be a woman in society, <laughs> but wives leaving the house without permission, that could get your nose cut off. <laughs> wow. Adultery and theft, and this one's messed up, but lack of female response. Oh, so boy. talk about pressure. Like, yeah. was, it, was it good for you? <laughs> yes, it was fantastic. Talk about a whole lot of pretending. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. And one article that I read, it was saying that cert- there were certain illnesses that could be that, that the Egyptians believed, like this is like 3000 BC, the time that you're talking, that certain illnesses could be healed if a pure woman urinated on the person <laughs> so that you're or maybe not urinated on them okay wait maybe that, maybe i'm getting my political stories of today confused <laughs> with <laughs> egyptian stories of 3000 bc okay never mind like, that's not true <laughs> you're not literally like, no, it's talking not, about you didn't have to pee on them they just okay let me rephrase this <laughs> when you play telephone (laughs) things get so messed up okay so 
what the article said was like the urine of a pure woman was healing in certain diseases or whatever. So this article was saying, basically the Egyptians were like, you know, (laughs) there aren't very many pure women (laughs) in our society. Like women are just going to do what women are going to do. They're going to be responsive to certain, certain persons in certain circumstances, women are going to be real responsive. And so, um, they just knew that, um, yeah, it wasn't wasn't gonna be real easy in their culture to find uh, urine from a pure woman, huh. and which was just sort of accepted. Maybe maybe nobody talked about it, but this was so cutting off the nose of a woman for adultery reasons was not that was not um, widely practiced, ah. at least not in the Egyptian culture. So we move into India, and India is really fascinating because the origins of of even modern plastic surgery trace their 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 beginnings back to the techniques that were developed in india by one very famous man named sushruta i practiced that too sushruta who was uh, considered to be the father of indian plastic surgery he was a fascinating guy um he wrote uh quite a few texts but one of the most famous ones is the sushruta samhita which is a comprehensive uh, 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 work of all of his procedures, techniques, things like that. Um, he was way ahead of his time, so he was one of the first to use wine as anesthesia. I guess he figured mm-hmm. out that people were in pain when he's cutting their noses off and all this stuff or fixing noses, mm-hmm. so he figured out a way to do that. He developed a technique called the pedicle flap, which I'll go into a little bit more detail in a little bit, and he developed his own instrumentation, which consisted of 20 sharp different instruments that he developed himself and over 101 blunt instruments. Uh, cadaver dissections and mock surgeries he was also a proponent of so he wasn't just taking people and trying to figure this out <laughs> as he went along so he actually practiced that's but, interesting because um, that's saying that was unusual in those days right and i think also because of the the way that the human body was viewed back then that you weren't just going to chop up a dead person yeah. and, and practice on them so so uh the, the technique that he and i'll go into how this was done but he figured out ways to uh, create a nose from the skin of the uh, the cheek at first, which was called the cheek flap. Uh, sometimes called people call it the pedicle flap. Um, and then later on, the skin of the forehead was also used uh, to be able to create a, a, the skin to create a new nose. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and there was a family of Punjabi nasal surgeons, which refined some of his techniques later on. Mm-hmm. And they passed their tradition down from father to son and kept it extremely secret. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they weren't actually physicians, they were potters. Mm-hmm. And so somehow they, you know, developed this and people would come to them for this and it was kept, like I said, extremely secret. For hundreds for, of yeah, years. For yeah, for a long time. And did you hear that if you were a female born into this family, you were not allowed to know how this was performed. Oh, interesting. But if you were a daughter-in-law, you could you could observe, but yeah, but if you were like you know a direct descendant, a female direct descendant of these people, you could not because they were afraid that you were you would marry into uh, a new family and take your secrets with you. Mm-hmm. So from India, there was a famous Arabic doctor who translated the works of Sushruta in from Sanskrit into Arabic. And then from there, the theory is that it spread into Sicily and then into Italy, which mm-hmm. was the next influential hub of plastic surgery um, in the uh, medieval period. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, the techniques that were developed in Italy were referred to as the Italian technique, which, again, I'll go into detail in a little bit. And then from Italy into Western Europe. And, and then it has a resurgence later on, which is actually a 
fascinating story. But let's talk a little bit about how this was done, right? Okay, so the pedicle flap, which is the one that our boy Shishruda uh, came up with, <laughs> uh, basically the way this was, and this is coming directly from the translation of the text, the portion of the nose that was going to be covered was measured by a leaf, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah. Measure twice, cut once. Okay, so, <laughs> I know, I always say that. Yeah, they took a leaf and they would uh, basically figure out how much they needed. And mm-hmm. so the required piece of skin was dissected from the skin on the cheek. This is, there was different ways that this was referred to. Mm-hmm. The pedicle, a pedicle is a um, uh, piece of, like a stalk of something that's connected okay. to something else. Dude. Okay. Put another piece of tissue, I guess you could leave it say that. So basically they left a little piece connected to where they got it from. Okay. So they would take a piece of skin off the cheek, dissect that, and then turn that piece back to cover the nose and leaving the small stock or the pedicle back on to keep it connected to the mm-hmm. cheek. And why and did they do that? Why did they leave it connected? They figured out that they needed to keep the tissue alive. So, uh, yeah, because they figured, I'm, I'm sure over, over time, if you just cut off a piece of skin and put it on there, right. that there was no way that that was going to, you know, th- th- there was no granulation yeah, it that was going to happen. And it was just going to necrosis. Yeah, no blood supply. Of it, right, yeah. no blood supply. So um, after that, the uh, the part of the nose that was going to be covered was made raw by cutting the nasal stump with a knife. So they basically just... Wait, say that again? The part that was going to be covered? The part, they, oh, they would right. scarify the, yeah, it, exactly. like to prepare it, Correct. like to rough it up mm-hmm. so that when you flip it over flip it and stick it right exactly <laughs> it has a rough surface to adhere to got so, it so right so okay. instead of using a rasp or something like that they just took a knife and just went shh, 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 shh. that's my sound that's, going, that's shh, a good shh, shh, sound shh, okay and i've heard a knife sound like that before <laughs> so the new skin was placed on the nose and the two parts were stitched together so again leaving the pedicle the, the stalk basically attached to the cheek so you have mm-hmm. you now have uh the um roughed up surface which exposed the the blood supply on the surface mm-hmm. that you're putting the new skin onto mm-hmm. and then you create a graft you stitch the graft together this is all stuff that's they figured out through right. trial and error which is fascinating it's absolutely i fascinating. mean it's very impressive yeah if you want to ever debate whether or not at least in this regard this part of medicine whether this is an art or a science this is most definitely well there's probably both but this is very very much artistry oh it's absolute artistry but i think it's the art informing the science and the other way around i mean i, yeah. I think over time yeah this you was really the, can't have one without the other right here. and yeah. you have to think this was coming from the text so this was probably at the at the point where they've mastered this where yeah. he wrote these techniques yeah. down yeah so yeah you know, he didn't write right <laughs> he was like <laughs> we didn't he, see he his does notes something from and his, then yeah. you hear you're like <laughs> <laughs> Hey, listen, so uh, that didn't work. Um, yeah. <laughs> new piece of paper. We need a new papyrus. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, think about when we come into medicine, as, as uh, those of us who learned different techniques in medicine, right. you're learning from things that have been established, and this is the right. way that this is done. And also, like, you know, current uh, best practices. Right, or, correct. Uh, maybe the person that trained you trained old school way, and then you have, yeah, you have newer, younger doctors that are coming out saying, oh, you know, this is current best practices. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, as technology changes yeah. and so on and so forth. And then, uh, you know, research and so on and so forth. Yeah. But they, they figured all this out and basically kept their own research going as they refined yeah. the techniques. And so they stitched the two parts together. And the skin is kept elevated using two tubes of the aranda, which is a castor oil plant, placed in the nostrils to give the nose proper shape. Oh, so if okay. you can imagine this, they basically 
put to They're like placeholders. Yeah, like chopsticks is the way I imagine it. Oh, okay. And if you look at the pictures, you'd have to Google all of this, but that's yeah. basically what it looks like. It looks like someone put two chopsticks in the sides of the nostrils and then kept the shape to kind of open it up oh, to make the shape. Oh, I was imagining like up the nostril, but you're saying through the sides of the nostril. So it said in the nostrils, but from what I saw in the pictures, uh-huh. it looked more like they were being skewered to keep it into shape that way. Okay, yeah. okay. And then, from there, the skin was adjusted and then sprinkled with licorice, red sandalwood, and <laughs> and the barberry plant. And then finally, the site was covered with cotton and cleaned repeatedly with with, uh, with clean sesame oil. So later, the skin would granulate and unite, and that was the nose. Yeah. And then they would make adjustments. If the skin was too long, they would cut it yeah. and then kind of... Uh, trim it up yeah, after. Yeah, trim and things like that. So I'm curious, Brian. I don't mean to... Um, Don't so ask I, me I, any more than that because that's all I got. <laughs> well, I'm going to ask you, do you happen to know what they used as suture material? No, I don't. Okay. No. Right. And they may not have documented that. So Yeah, I'm assuming back then, you know, people could keep garments and things together that yeah. it was probably some mixture yeah. of something that they would yeah. use to sew other things up. And yeah. they, they know uh, that would probably, that's my guess. I didn't actually go that far into my research. I am sorry. It's okay. You blindside <laughs> me with questions all the time. Like, sure you know, what's the definition of this or that? I'm just trying to ask you what they used as suture material, but it's okay that you don't know. So we mentioned, <laughs> we mentioned that family who you said uh, if you were a daughter, you right. didn't get to learn, but yeah. if you married in, yeah. they actually took the techniques from our boy, Dr. S., and they modified them mm-hmm. and they created from the classical cheek flap mm-hmm. and they started to use the skin from the forehead mm-hmm. and it became the forehead flap technique. And that was the one that was kept secret in India for centuries. So Shushruta's deal, everybody kind of, he, he was, you know, people knew and he would teach and that kind of thing. But these people were like, hmm, instead of using the cheek, mm-hmm. why don't we use the forehead? And they did I that wonder way. why, I wonder... My guess is proximity. They didn't say mm-hmm. why, but I'm mm-hmm. thinking maybe it was just easier to take a piece of the forehead than it would okay. be to take a piece of the cheek. Yeah. Or maybe there was some sort of um, more uh, tissue damage from taking the cheek, or maybe it was uh, yeah. you could get away with if you had scarring, maybe you could wear a hat. And oh, maybe, yeah, you know, I did I read. I, now, that is Guessing. interesting because I did read that um, after a person had the forehead flap, they would um, maybe take the edges of uh, the part that was removed and suture those edges together to repair it. Or the person could hide it by wearing like a turban or mm-hmm. some other kind yeah. of um, headgear. And I guess it was um, harder to, to do that um, if you were taking it from the cheek. Also, at least regarding the forehead flap, um, they were saying that... Um, taking the tissue like from the face, it was just, you were trading one obvious abnormality for another. Mm -hmm. So again, cutting off your nose to spite your face sort of, because you know, you're, you're, you're making one big scar to, to repair another. From, from India, like I said, uh, this spread throughout uh, from Arabic cultures and into Italy. And the next big leap in plastic surgery technique was in Italy with the, what they call the Italian technique. And there really wasn't much that was that maybe the, the basic ideas of how to take a piece of skin. It's a skin graft is really mm-hmm. what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the basic idea of how to do that was the same. The difference with the Italian technique is they use the skin, the, the skin of the upper arm to mm-hmm. create the, um, the graft, but they still kept the pedicle there. And remember the <laughs> pedicle is the connection between right. the skin because you need between the skin live tissue, tissue right? and the part. Yeah. So if you can imagine having your upper arm, 
stitched to your nose and you got to stay like that until the graft forms. If you've ever seen that TV show from Cinemax, the Nick, they have an episode where he, you know, his former love gets syphilis from her husband and she loses her nose and he's this surgeon and he's trying to help her, you know, get some kind of quality of life back. And he performs this arm flap procedure on her. And, um, that's how I even knew that noses oh, wow. get messed up with syphilis. <laughs> well, I thought this show. was fascinating because I didn't think that, uh, I never really thought about, even as much as I do know about anatomy and physiology, I just never really assumed that, you know, that you would need a pedicle to, <laughs> to be able yeah. to have. Yeah. I just never really had put yeah. much thought into plastic surgery and especially nasal surgery. Yeah. But um, you're talking about someone who's lost their nose. Right. I always thought of when I think of more modern cosmetic surgery, you're mm-hmm. taking what's already there and kind right. of reshaping it, yeah. not necessarily replacing yeah. tissue. Right, right, right. Um, but from there, uh, the, there was a, the techniques and the Italian method, as it was called, spread through Europe and became very popular and flourished in, in Europe and particularly in medieval Italy. But it had its biggest resurgence in the 1700s as the uh, British East India Company was uh, spread through the rest of the world. Basically, mm-hmm. the British Empire right. was taking over everything. <laughs> they were in India and they fought, I think, quite a they, co- they colonized India and fought a mm-hmm. few wars in India. And this was a very fascinating sur- uh, story. But British surgeons working for the East India Company saw firsthand the work being done by Indian surgeons. Mm-hmm. And so during the Mysore War of 1792, there was a guy named the Tipu Sultan, and the British uh, army, basically, they were going at it, right? And so a British cart driver named Kawasiji, along with four of his native, <laughs> other native guys, were captured by the Sultan's soldiers. Their noses and a hand each were cut off <gasps> by the Mysore army, okay? Mm-hmm. So now they got no nose, no arm, mm-hmm. and that was the punishment, right? Just like you mentioned. Right. Punishment for mm-hmm. it. So... At this point, there are solutions here, right? So they went on for about a year. and They're then they really, were like, oh, I know a guy. Yeah, I know a guy. <laughs> and so they volunteered to basically do this procedure um, in front of some of the British surgeons who witnessed it. Mm-hmm. And uh, they needed, they, they basically were, they, they allowed themselves to kind of be the specimens that the surgeons could learn from, okay? And so the the surgery they they had the noses repaired. I don't know about the hand, but the <laughs> the noses were repaired. This and, is an episode about rhinoplasty. Yeah, we're a rhinoplasty. Yeah. But the operations were witnessed by two uh, famous British surgeons named Thomas Crusoe and James Finley. And uh, this whole episode and procedure was later published in the October 1794 issue of Gentleman's Magazine. After it was published in Gentleman's Magazine. Joseph Carpe performed the first procedure in front of a group of surgeons in 1814 in Britain. And after 37 minutes, the whole procedure took 37 minutes with no anesthesia. And after it was all done, they removed the bandages. And in typical British fashion, another physician said, and I quote, my God, there is the nose. <laughs> I thought that was fascinating. That is, that's a pretty good. Thank you. That's my British. Um, British accent you've got there. Dr. Uh, Joseph Carpew, he was the first one, like I mentioned, that performed before a a group of colleagues in Britain. And then the first procedure was performed in Germany in 1816. And then in the United States, a guy named Jonathan Warner performed the first first procedure um, in 1834. And then from there, the first European to describe rhinoplasty to straighten a crooked nose. So now we're talking about cosmetic mm-hmm. rhinoplasty for tissue that's already mm-hmm. there that that was done in 1845 and then in 1887 another guy 
uh, was credited with the first endonasal subcutaneous rhinoplasty for pug nose. And so that's a big, long, fancy word for basically taking the tissue that's under the nose and fixing it. And if you think about a pug nose, you look uh-huh, like a pig. Uh-huh. And so basically taking that and straightening it out to make a regular nose. Um, and so the uh, another guy named Jacques Joseph was considered to be many to be the father of aesthetic and reconstructive surgery. He classified the procedure and developed techniques for correcting specific deformities. And so those are like the major players um, in modern uh, rhinoplasty. Mm-hmm. And so today... Uh, there's a, quite a few different procedures and way that this is done, uh, but the key, uh, I guess, link is to India. So the techniques mm-hmm. that were developed in India still form the basis of modern rhinoplasty today. And so today, the types of rhinoplasty you can get, you can get a revision rhinoplasty, which is done to address any issues that you might have had, any like a revision surgery, mm-hmm. basically that somebody yeah. screwed up. And so you got to go back. Revisionist and get yeah. surgery yeah. instead of revisionist going history. Back. And so reduction rhinoplasty for patients who want to reduce the size of their nose, tip rhinoplasty for patients who want a more reformed, refined, elegant nasal tip, and <laughs> augmentation rhinoplasty done to increase the dimensions of the nose, and then non-surgical rhinoplasty, non-surgical approach, basically used to change the shape and appearance of the nose using injectable fillers. And so they inject some sort of, and then you know, I'm sure those people would know what that is, but they inject something to mm-hmm. create the shape that you're trying to use. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was interesting. But again, most of the techniques for uh, that were laid down in India still, you know, to this day. Have you ever known anybody personally that had a nose job? I've known a few, like I mentioned earlier, that I worked when I worked in fitness uh, mm-hmm. oh, in, yeah. in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've known quite a few. Did you know them like before the nose no. job and after? Oh, okay. So Actually, I take that back. I did know one person, but she had a really big nose. Yeah. And I'm not going to mention this person's name, but she right. had a really big nose. And when it was all said and done, it did look quite better. But yeah. her nose was pretty big. But the other people, yeah. I think, were older. Uh-huh. Who had a lot of plastic surgery that oh, were trying yeah. to maintain yeah. what they thought looked, and they just looked like their face had been stretched back, and they couldn't, yeah. they couldn't smile or look surprised or anything. The only person that I, you know, and I, I use the word no. Well, no, I mean, I knew, I knew this person. So it was somebody that I used to work with years and years ago, and we worked together for a couple of years, relatively closely. So I mean, I saw her like five days a week. Okay, she's listening to this right now, going, she's talking. <laughs> no, about me. she probably, she probably isn't listening to this. Um, so we worked together, and she was a very attractive person, um, but she did have a large nose, and of course, I never would have made fun of her for her large nose because again, I have issues with my own self, you know, self, uh, uh, esteem regarding my nose. <laughs> so I don't make fun of other people's large noses, but anyway, she had a large nose. She was attractive nonetheless. And then I remember somebody told me, um, like years later, we, we weren't working together and somebody else that we, we knew in common had told me, Oh, so-and-so had a nose job. And I was thinking, well, I I bet she's really, she's probably a knockout now, you know, if she had a nose job, because she was very attractive, even with a large nose. And so I remember not long after I heard that she had had a nose job, I was at like, um, uh, at a, at a ballet, like, or a symphony or something like that. And we were, it was like intermission. And I didn't recognize her, but I recognized her children. 
And I was like, oh my God, that is so-and-so. And I could not stop staring. I didn't go talk to her because again, we're not, we're not the kind of people that are, we're not really friends. Um, but I just remember thinking, oh my God, she looks so good. You know, like I would never, had it not been for seeing her children, I would not have recognized her. She was unrecognizable. It was it was amazing the transformation. And so I think of um, who's that actress that was in uh, Dirty Dancing? Oh, uh, Jennifer Grey. Grey, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, hers. That's another one that has you know talk about transformative appearance. I mean, she doesn't look like the same person well, it's at the center all. Of her face is the first thing I think people are looking at when they're focusing yeah. in on you. Is but it's nose, amazing because, so. like, you know, like hmm, I wonder what they could do with my nose. <laughs> And we come full circle, people. No, 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 because because now I'm too much of a paranoid freak about you know things that can go wrong. In okay, surgery. well, in fairness, huh. I think the techniques that were laid down by our friend Dr. S mm-hmm. and the horrible things that you saw in that episode of Oprah thirty years ago, <laughs> I think you can trust yeah. that things have been come along. Well, way I also fun. think that when you don't have a nose, you know, you're, you know, your risk, like your re- risk reward you know, ratio is like, look, you know, the risk of not doing anything. Yeah. Well, it's important to make that distinction too about, uh, cosmetic yeah. uh, rhinoplasty for deformity or aesthetic rhinoplasty, excuse yeah. me, reconstructive surgery for yeah. for those reasons as opposed to, you know, replacing a nose yeah. and tissue that's actually been lost to some sort of trauma. Yeah. That's, I think those are different animals. So I think it's interesting because we've, like we've mentioned numerous times, we work with doctors and I work with Quite a few opinionated doctors that <laughs> well, will tell you. I think they're probably all opinionated. Yes. But, and working know. in surgery, I've worked with, uh, um, there's different, different surgeons have different reputations. Let me put it that way. Right. Uh, orthopedic surgeons, we used to call them the ortho gods because they believe that they are gods. <laughs> um, my own stepfather was an oral uh, maxillary surgeon and he had the same god complex. They're very, very accomplished <laughs> people. But I do remember uh, he would actually say the same thing, that he didn't necessarily say he had a low opinion of plastic surgeons, but they make snide comments yeah. about them. As if... As if, or because, you know, it's not very altruistic to be a plastic surgeon, maybe like, oh, they're doing it for the wrong reasons or Mm -hmm. they're motivated by the wrong incentives or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, which would be. Yeah. But I mean, again, they're surgeons. I worked with one guy who would do uh, um, uh, lower extremity surgeries and he had to do, uh, he had to use a um, uh, arthroscope once to do a a simple procedure. And he just got so frustrated with the arthroscope. He threw all the stuff away and he goes, all right, screw this. Let's do some real surgery now. And I started <laughs> laughing because, I mean, or other orthopedists yeah. use arthroscopes. So yeah. he did not consider that to be real surgery. So, yeah. you know. Well, in, in researching this, there were several articles that I stumbled upon that described um, sort of the artistry of nasal reconstruction. And I guess it's more, you know, regarding modern techniques and things like that. But there's so much that goes into this art because, you know, they've divided the face into three, three portions and they say, you know, the nose should, should have these sort of proportions um, relative to the entire face. And then, you know, different parts of the nose, which, you know, some of these articles, they divided up the nose into all these subsections. I mean, it's really, really the, technicalities that they 
go into regarding rhinoplasty is really um, very, it's impressive. It is really impressive what, what they can do and how much um, is behind why they do certain techniques over others, depending on what they're hoping for outcomes. And um, I think I heard that they can give you a, con- a computer kind of simulation of what your face mm-hmm. is going to look like too, before you mm-hmm. have the procedure. Yeah. Um, I, I, when I, maybe I made that up, but I, <laughs> I no, no, I, no, I'm certain that they, that they can. Cause mm-hmm. I wouldn't, you know, again, with as much desire as I thought I had for wanting to have rhinoplasty on myself, I wouldn't have ever, thought that I would go in there blind, so to speak, not, I mean, yeah. I would want to know what am I going to look like from the top, from the bottom, from the side, you know, every, every way I well, want to know what, what it's going to look people like. Who've had it done. It's not a comfortable thing to have done. Yeah. Um, and the recovery is not fun, yeah. um, but it's surgery. And yeah. So, yeah, I mean, exactly. Line, so exactly. But yeah, I think whatever your, whatever your opinions are about, you know, plastic surgeons and, and their motivations for doing this or whatever, I think when you, when you stop and consider, I mean, even for people who are having it for aesthetics, you know, just for aesthetics, because they want to look better, you know, you don't know the psyche of that person. And you don't know how much of an impact this has had on them or whatever. But then also, when you consider like people that are born with, you know, defects or have had skin cancer, my grandmother, actually, I, I totally forgot about this. My grandma had skin cancer on her nose. I can't remember what type it was. But anyway, they had to remove all of the skin and all of the cartilage from her nose. And she was just left with the the nasal bone itself. And I remember I did not go visit her when she just had the stump because, well, for one, I don't think she really wanted a lot of visitors. I wasn't very close to her, but I don't think she wanted a lot of visitors. And also, I think my dad might have gone to visit her when she had only you know they were waiting for that to sort of heal before they did reconstruction and then she she was going to have her reconstruction in this small town and you know in texas and i thought mm, i don't know you might want to go to like the city for that you gonna do the cheap flap yeah i don't, yeah, I don't know <laughs> i don't know how this is gonna look but when 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 i saw her again she was she had had her nose done and she was all healed from it she looked exactly like she did before oh, she wow. had cancer. Mm-hmm. So it was incredible how they restored it. Ex- like I could not tell. I couldn't see. I couldn't see anything that they. Of course, she didn't wear makeup or anything at that age. But I couldn't see. I couldn't tell anything mm-hmm. had been done. It was amazing. I think they took cartilage from her ear oh, to restore. Yeah, and now I think there's you know the the research now into being able to create human tissue from stem cells and mm-hmm. and uh you know what they're hoping for for the future for you to be able to generate your own tissue from your own cells oh, yeah. you know maybe maybe the the next step is hey i need a new nose we'll grow it <laughs> and, and put that bad boy on and that's it so yeah you know so yeah huh. fascinating well i guess that concludes this episode of curious medicine thank you everyone for listening we hope you'll join us next time